Welcome to All About Audio Podcast, where we discuss topics relevant to audio industry professionals. I'm your host, Sean Chapman. Each month, I will interview audio professionals to bring you tips and advice for working in audio or starting your own business. This month, I spoke with LA sound designer Ian Chase, who's worked on projects such as The Irishman and Wild Wild Country. Well, hey, Ian, thanks for coming on today. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role is in the audio world? Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. Um, my background in the audio world is I primarily work as a re-recording mixer and uh, sound supervisor, which normally means that I'm working with the directors and producers um, with their budget, their schedule, hiring the sound team, overseeing kind of the bigger creative challenges where everybody's working, and then kind of putting it all together at the end to do a final mix. Normally, I also mix with somebody else. I primarily just mix the dialogue and music. If there's a budget, I try to bring on someone to mix the sound effects. Uh, and so we normally collaborate. Obviously, on larger projects, there might even be uh, an additional mixer, and I'll just do dialogue. Someone will just do sound effects, and then another person will just be mixing. Um, so it's kind of an all-encompassing position, kind of all the way from the beginning, all the way, all the way up until we deliver the final audio. I'm kind of involved. Cool. And, and you live in Los Angeles, correct? I moved to Los Angeles in 2017. Before that, I was in Savannah, Georgia. Um, but I, when I moved to LA, I kind of bounced around. Now I'm in the Burbank area, which I love, right by the Ikea and uh, Costco, which is great. Yeah, actually, I, I saw that you went to SCAD, right? And in Georgia? Yeah, I, I went to SCAD with a, a myriad of great people. Um, there's a bunch of us out here. Brent Kaiser, um, who's kind of another sound supervisor and re-recording mixer. Matt Yoakum, who also does a lot of mixing and um, editing. Danielle Price was here for a long time. There's Jacob Flack. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of us out here who went to SCAD and then studied film, sound, and then eventually moved out to LA, uh, which is the the I think the best place. I think there's only a handful of people who really went to New York afterwards. How did you get into uh, mixing for TV and film? My background into sound, I think, starts in a very similar way that a lot of sound designers do. I started off in music and realized I was probably never going to be a good enough musician to kind of make it successfully. But I really enjoyed being around their um, kind of uh, atmosphere, you know, working with creative people sonically really was interesting to me. And so I transitioned as I was kind of leaving high school and realizing I was never going to make it as a musician. I started looking at alternative careers. And one of them was to study film sound at SCAD. And they sent me a big catalog. I went online and I requested information for free and they mailed me a catalog that was like four or five inches thick. And there was all these really high quality photos of mixing studios and all the lights. And it looked just like a spaceship. And I thought, all right, well, <laughs> if I'm going to do sound and uh, have to convince my parents that it's a real career, at least I can show them this and they'll kind of understand. Uh, and so I went and I, I fell in love. Our very first day, we were in Pro Tools and we had to record our voice and then turn it into Optimus Prime um, with all the kind of effects and pitch shifting. And when that happened, I was really convinced that if people can do this for a career, <laughs> then obviously <laughs> this is what I want to do for a career. That's cool. You seem to have um, 
uh, moved up pretty pretty quickly, having only been in LA for three years. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, it, it looks like I checked out the, your IMDb page. Yeah, Sundance feature. Yeah, the there's a couple of Sundance features that I've done in the past. The newest one is Together Together, which is a uh, Nicole Beckwith and um, stars Ed Helms and Patty in it. Uh, that's the one that I just finished doing, which I, I loved. We did that one all remote, and that was also through Unbridled, which is the Brent Kaiser Studio um, here in LA. Uh, so. Brent was the sound supervisor on it. He's the one who kind of had the connection to the producer, Anthony, who is honest with Honey Boy. Um, but Brent and I, we've done a couple of Sundance projects together in the past. Uh, the one that's kind of the most recent, I guess, is Wild Wild Country, which was a docu-series. And then we did An Evening with Beverly Loughlin, which my dad claims is the funniest movie alive. But I love uh, that movie. Yeah, that's that was hilarious. I just saw it. it. Yes. <laughs> it is really funny. It's just absurd. It is so absurd. I'm so glad that you've seen it. Uh, and it gets the, the kind of viewing that it should. Um, I hope so. Yeah, it, it originally was Sundance, and then it kind of disappeared for a while, and then Netflix, I guess, picked mm-hmm. it up. But that was one of the very first movies that I, I really mixed with Brent, and it was it, doing my very first feature. I was shocked at how difficult it is to actually mix for a movie. And I remember telling Brent at the end, we should never work on a movie again because they're so hard <laughs> and we should just do shorts and, uh, you know, episodic stuff. But an evening with Beverly Loughlin is, is really up there in terms of, um, the just technical challenge and great story, great cast. So it's cool that you've seen it. That's cool. It looks like you've also worked on uh, The Irishman. Yeah. So when I first moved to LA and I got kind of in bed with Brent, um, I was really, he was quite a huge mentor and still is a mentor to me. And I learned quite a bit about mixing. Uh, We then went to the Emmys and I met uh, another sound supervisor, Wiley Stateman, uh, who's an incredible sound designer, sound editor, supervisor. You know, he's even really fantastic, has a good ear in terms of mixing as well. And he was running a foreign dubbing studio, meaning that when they finish the movie, they deliver the sound effects and music, but the dialogue is all gone. And then they redo the dialogue for the French release, the German release, Italian. Sometimes we would do all, you know, 27 languages, different, very dialects of um, Chinese and Hindi and stuff like that. And one of the projects we worked on was The Irishman, which was a really unique process because it's obviously a huge profile movie for um, Netflix in terms of even got Oscar nominated and stuff. Yeah. And so they were really particular about the sound and making sure that the sound of the Irishman matched the production, the original sound. And so we had to invent this whole kind of dialogue chain using plugins to make sure that Mm -hmm. the dialogue really sounded like it was recorded on set rather than recorded afterwards using ADR and voiceover. Yeah. How how many hours would you say that, that gets put into a movie like that? In terms of sound? Yeah. Yeah. It, it really depends. Sometimes, you know, if you look at, it really depends because it's, it, it kind of breaks down into different categories. And so normally I try to give people, um, you know, a week, a reel to kind of do the editing. And then you typically try to pre-dub in a similar fashion. And so it can be anywhere between 10 to 20 weeks, but that really each project is unique in terms of its budget and size and scale. You know, uh, there was a 
podcast or kind of interview that I was listening recently with Mark Mangini on Dune, and he said that their mixing process alone was 10 weeks at Warner Brothers, but that he had been on the project for about a year, year and a half. And so I think once you start to climb the ladder in terms of the bigger the projects are, it's amazing how much bigger, not only the budget, but the time is to go through and redo it. And I think that's because the picture editor, you're normally doing sound while they're editing the movie. And so they'll edit the movie to be like four hours long, and then you do all the sound for it. And then as they slowly cut it down to the real time that we see, you know, whether that's an hour and a half or two hours, you're constantly adding sound and changing sound and doing temp mixes and re-edits. Uh, I think other people have even claimed that they use all library sound effects until the picture is locked. And then they redo all the sound effects editing with custom recording stuff. So wow. something like the Irishman, it can be a pretty long process. I was only involved with it for probably about two months or so um, from the mixing perspective. So um, can you do any of the mixing that you do from home or do you always, are you always in a studio? I love working from home. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I love it, man. It's so great. I, I really think that I have most of the tools with me, you know, I obviously have my own kind of 5.1 system. I have an Avid S3, I have Pro Tools. So I'm equipped to set up quite, to mix quite comfortably at home. And then I typically just use Zoom or Evercast or something like that if the director wants to kind of give remote notes. That being said, there really is an advantage to being in a room, a bigger room, and being in a really well-calibrated system. Uh, sure. And so I'm not knocking that. And there there really is some some expert options and you can really kind of use sound as like almost the rooms are almost like a magnifying glass where you can get really into the details and so for the Sundance feature I just mixed we did go into the room for about a week uh, we had all the masks and the face shields and we were six feet apart and we mixed the movie first we did a week of online and then we did a week inside the room yeah what, what kind of monitors do you use yeah I'm using the JBL 705 um, speakers uh, okay. in, I've also used the 708 quite comfortably. The, the nice thing about the 705 and the 708s is that they have built-in uh, EQs. And so you can go to your room and either bring in Dolby or you can actually buy your own meters nowadays and kind of scan a frequency sweep in your room. And then you can tune your speakers to kind of uncolor your room. And so that way you're mixing much more accurately than if you just kind of put a speaker in. I know that Genelex, they seem to have a built-in I think attachment that you can buy with it. One of my friends, Daniel Price, she was saying that she really enjoys it. But the JBLs I really like because you know you can also plug them into Ethernet and then plug it into a some uh, software like HiQnet um, oh, cool. and kind of control them remotely as well. Could you give um, advice to new engineers who might want to be doing something similar to what you're doing? You know, it's it's difficult to remember what I know now versus what I knew when I first started. I guess what I'm always trying to figure out is how to be as specific as possible. I feel like a lot of times when I'm meeting new sound designers or upcoming sound designers, they're often, you ask them, what do you do? And they say, oh, I mix, I edit, I dialogue edit, I do ADR, I do voiceover, I do Foley. They're kind of all over the place, which is great, 
But oftentimes when I'm talking to supervisors or directors, they kind of need a specific task done. And so it's much better to be a really well-known heart surgeon than it is to be a well-known general practitioner. And so I always try to take that approach of just pick one thing. If you want to be a sound editor, then just spend all your time sound editing. If you want to be a dialogue editor, spend all your time dialogue editing. If you want to be a mixer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so to just kind of be hyper-focused, um, you know, I think the saying is an inch wide, but a mile deep. And so you really kind of want to develop that skill set and then pitch it to people in a way that makes sense. Can you tell people where they can find you, how they can support you, where they can see your stuff? Yeah, I um, just made a website recently. So you can check me out at ianchasesound.com. But, um, you know, they can always, and my email and my phone numbers also are on there as well. So they're happy. Uh, I'm happy to have them contact me. Um, obviously, there's also my IMDb. I think I'm the second Ian Chase on there. There's another Ian Chase who um, hasn't worked since 2014. So I keep trying to call IMDb or get a hold of someone and say, can we swap it out? Can I be the first one? But it'll be obvious because I'm the only Ian Chase on IMDb that has uh, sound credits. Um, luckily, there's no one else uh, in the business working right now. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say just you know, having this being here? I think that starting off in sound can be challenging without networking. Um, so, you know, Sean, it's also, you know, really great to meet you. And I hope that we stay in contact. If there's everything that I can give you, I'm happy to help you out. For sure. Um, but uh, the really, the only way that I've gotten to the place that I have, you know, even you kind of highlighted in the three years is because I, I really enjoy hanging out with other audio people, talking sound, but I also kind of, you know, when we go out, I'm also a normal person as well. And I think what I've noticed is that the people who just really enjoyed the friendship and the community within the sound field move up mm -hmm. pretty quickly because I think we're all just looking for someone when it's 3 a.m. and you're mixing for the 10th week in a row in overtime, you just want a friend next to you and someone that you can go and grab a drink with or grab food with or, you know, ask them how their family is. And so having that sort of soft skills is just as important as training your ear so you can kind of hear the micro detail as well. For sure. I feel like there's also a camaraderie among sound people. There's kind of a, a, a thing in common there. A hundred percent. And it's, it's nice because the community is so small. And so you're able to really network quite fast. And I've noticed that a lot of the people um, are really receptive to helping coaching. And um, I feel like the internships and the apprenticeships are slowly dying away, but in a different form through digital technology, they're kind of being reborn in the fact that you can get on a phone call with Paul Massey, or you can get on, uh, you know, swap a few emails with somebody like Richard King. And so I, I've noticed that people who are really passionate about just sound in general, you know, they go and they find the Slack channels, they find the people's emails, and then through some sort of networking, they were able to kind of build their own community and be a part of a community at large. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How would you say the industry is changing right now in the last year since the pandemic hit? I think... It's a tough question because we're not going to know until it's over. It's amazing to me, you know, it's going back to the conversation with Mark Mangini over um, Zoom. He was saying that the director kind of had a little bit of a COVID scare. And so the last couple weeks of the final mix for Dune were all done remotely where the director was on headphones. To me, it is surprising that one of the largest movies out of Warner Brothers and Legendary and Formosa was final mixed for a couple weeks on headphones you know, they're not paying for the same rooms anymore. 
There's not the need to cram 20 people onto a dub stage. I mean, the fact that we're all working remote is so incredible and so amazing. And it is shifting the balance because the studios aren't making as much money selling the movie and they're not making as much money selling the rooms, creating the movie. And so there's this interesting twist happening where technology for the first time is separating and connecting us. And so in an industry where the jobs are slowly disappearing, it just kind of goes back to that importance of communicating and being part of the community so that way you can go out and really do the jobs that you want to do. Um, you know, going back to the Dune thing, granted, the mixers are Ron Barlett and Doug Hemphill, and they're extraordinary mixers. And I think they were also on Blade Runner 2049 with the same director. So they might have a rapport and a sort of... Um, you know, relationship that allows them to mix remotely. And obviously they're such great mixers that <laughs> you can be pretty confident it's going to sound good, but still it's amazing that that's happening at both my level at the indie Sundance level. And then at the huge Warner brother, you know, mixing level as well. That interesting. Yeah. It seems like things might kind of equalize a little bit. Totally. Well, Hey Ian, um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, it was nice talking with you. Yeah. Thanks man. Thanks for listening. I really hope that you got something out of it. Check back on the first of each month for new episodes.